I've asked Brother uh, Bruce to come and share uh, whatever he wants to share with you about the trip to Samoa and to Nepal. And I'm adding there's plenty to share. Sorry for the, our, we're in a, we're making a trade on our, uh, something to do with our projectors. We don't have projectors, so uh, Bruce just have to tough it out. That's all I can say. You have to paint pictures with words, brother. Well, we might get a chance later on. This conference or something. Good evening, everyone. It's good to be here. Where's Brother Alan Little? I was giving him a hard time about the game yesterday. <laughs> uh, oh, you did not do so well yesterday, did they? Uh -huh. Well, it's a wonderful time to hear Miss Leisha. You tell him that I gave him a hard time, okay? I'm sure that's why he didn't show up, because he didn't want to get the hard time. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for your prayers. It's been a pleasure uh, uh, knowing that you're standing, standing and holding the ropes for us. And... Um, uh, there were two major trips that I've done since I was here last, and so everyone's very concerned about it. One of the trips was to the island of Samoa in the South Pacific, where our missionary, Brother Penny Fafoina, and his wife Robin have been working now for many years. Lighthouse Baptist Church, uh, Brother Turner had made, a I think, one or maybe two trips there, and several of our members here have made trips. I know Larry Atkinson made trips, others made trips to, uh, to visit the ministry there in that island of Samoa. And uh, we, they had scheduled uh, in 2020, uh, the summer of 2020, the ordination of two of the preachers in that church who are now the pastors there. And of course, we know what happened in 2020 with the pandemic. So that had to be postponed. And they scheduled it right away when they opened up the country again. The country was totally closed down. A lot of the islands in the South Pacific totally closed down during the pandemic. They would not allow any flights, no one to visit them, no one even to leave, to leave hardly. And they were hoping maybe they would not get it. Well, that didn't work out. They still got the pandemic anyway. So finally, in August, uh, they opened it up. And so we scheduled in September. And that wasn't my choice. Uh, this schedule that I just had both going to Samoa and Nepal, one right after the other, was not something I would have scheduled, but that's just the way things happen, and I had to work around their schedule. And I'd promised that I would represent the church. Brother Turner was scheduled to go in 2020, uh, so uh, he wanted to go also, but he did not. His pass, he lost his passport in the, tr in, the, in, the, in the move. And so he applied for a new passport, and he told me the day, that I, the day I left for Samoa was the day his passport came in. So uh, he was not able either to go. And so I was the representative of Metropolitan Baptist Church, which I felt was necessary. And especially since we're without a pastor right now, I felt it was very appropriate. And it was very good. It was, it was, it was proper. Uh, the church was very appreciative. The two men uh, have been in ministry for quite a while now. And now that Brother Penny was out of the, out of the country, Samoa, for over two years, they uh, were holding the ropes and doing everything that he do. Uh, before I arrived, Penny and Robin had returned from New Zealand to Samoa, had been there for about a week before I got there. They were getting their house ready for sale. And so they're involved in all that besides, of course, the ordination. Ordination was a very um, wonderful affair. I think there were four or five local pastors there. Uh, the other missionary that's on the other island 
happened to be in the States, so he participated via Zoom. But it was a wonderful privilege. I did post a few pictures. Maybe some of y'all say I saw on Facebook or some on my prayer letter also. I think I put a picture up of the ordination. Uh, had a really good time getting to know them. They especially scheduled several occasions for me to get sit down with them before and after the ordination. And we discussed a lot of things. But the penny was going to be leaving about 10 days afterward. He's already gone back by now. Uh, he's found a buyer for his house. I don't think it's closed yet, but he's now moving everything, of course, to New Zealand. And uh, there are more Samoans living in New Zealand than there on the island of Samoa. And um, uh, that's one of the reasons he's over there. He's already had some uh, opportunities and discipleship that he's doing there in New Zealand, in Auckland, is, is where he's at. And so we began discussing uh, the teaching that I do. And they said, we'd like you to come back. So probably in 2024, I'll be going to New Zealand. He'll be bringing some of the preachers from Samoa over to New Zealand, and I'll be spending some time there. And so pray about that. Uh, that's our goal uh, and plans for, the, for that future. And uh, the trip over there was good. No problems. Uh, thankfully, uh, I got back here on Monday, rested Tuesday, then Wednesday I turned right back around and started the trip to Nepal. Now, what I did on the trip to Nepal was I first went down to Mexico to meet with the four men, the Mexican men that were going, that, that planned to make the survey trip. I began discussing with this in July of last year. So it's been a year and a half in the planning. And uh, uh, the church there in southern Mexico started, the pastor there, Brother Esteban Cruz, he began to have a burden for missions, and he began a, a, a class, a monthly class on missions. And he, when I was there in July of 2021, just for one day preaching, he came to me and said, uh, we want to do more for missions. Would you please help us? We would do some survey trips to some other countries, things like that. I said, sure. And he said, well, what are you doing? What's going on? He said, well, we have a, a monthly class. I says, well, how many do you have? And he says, we have 24 missionary candidates. That's a lot. When I heard that, I, my eyes lit up. I got excited. And I says, well, if that's what's going on, I'm going to change my schedule. And I set up in November a, a, a date to go there and spend three days teaching on missions. By the time I got to there in November, that number of candidates had increased to over 40. So there's a lot of interest. Initially, there were five men that wanted to go on the survey trip to Nepal. Not all of them missionaries. One of them was the pastor. Not because he wanted to be a missionary there, but he wanted to go and get what it was like and understand what it was like. So last November, we began scheduling. They felt that, like the country of Nepal was one of the ones they wanted to go to because they had another Mexican missionary come to visit their church and present his ministry. He's been there for five years. And during the time that they spent with him, they bonded with him and began to understand what he's trying to do. And they got very interested. So that was the reason that they wanted to go to the country of Nepal. So uh, last November, we set the dates. Then we had to adjust it because of the Samoa trip. And uh, uh, that's why everything was all put together the way it was. These men uh, that were going with me to Nepal had hardly even ever left their state. They'd never been to the capital of Mexico, the Mexico City. Uh, they had never been on a bus trip more longer than four or five hours. So 
On Tuesday night, they took a trip 12 hours on the bus to Mexico City, arrived there, and there were some other Mexican pastors that met them, took care of them during the day. I got in Wednesday night. We met at the airport, and then we began planning for the trip. When we went into a hotel that night, our trip was on Thursday. We purposely allowed some extra time to get ready. During the night at 2 a.m., we got woken up by a heavy earthquake. I mean, a real bad earthquake. I almost got locked out of bed. It lasted for about a minute. It was an aftershock of a previous earthquake about four or five days earlier. And it was a pretty big one. I think it was about six-something on the Richter scale. And I woke up, and they're moving around, and people started screaming in the hallways. And it was a major thing. They had never gone through an earthquake like that either. So God was starting to give them some experiences right away. Um, uh, then the next day, uh, we uh, uh, did some sightseeing. They'd never been to Mexico City, so I showed them some things. Um, they, they said it's, they felt very embarrassed because they said, you know more about the history of our country than we do. <laughs> but you know what? A missionary should do that. A missionary should know and take the time to study as much as he can about the country that God's called him to. So uh, that afternoon, about 3 o'clock, uh, we went to the airport to start checking in. It was uh, uh, When you're flying like this, you have to go not just two hours, but about four hours early. And um, uh, they had never traveled in an airplane in their lives. So I had to teach them how to check in, <laughs> how to go through all that, how to have their bags packed. I um, checked all their bags before we even left, was carrying on, was checked in, all that kind of stuff. Had a problem because the missionary that lives in Nepal at the last minute wanted us to carry some extra bags for him. And I was not planning on that. So when they got there, I said, we've already checked in. It's too late. We did work out one bag for them. But I went through the bag and found out they put stuff in there that could not go on the airplane. Like, for instance, there was b bottles of bleach. You do not carry bleach on an airplane. That is a prohibited thing. If they catch you, you're in big trouble. It's an acid. If it leaks... It can create not just problems in your own luggage, but everyone else's luggage around you. Things like that. So I was dealing with those kind of trouble things all the way. The flight was a three-legged flight. We flew from Mexico City to Barcelona, Spain. We we're going to be on the very same airplane, but they made us get off. Well, they cleaned it. They wanted to get back on. Then from Barcelona to Bahrain, uh, to Dubai, the city of Dubai, we got off the plane there, changed planes, and three or four hour layover, then from Dubai, uh, we went to Kathmandu in the country of Nepal. Nepal is exactly the other side of the world. Almost a 12 hour time difference. In other words, there it's Monday morning right now. They're just getting up. And that created a problem, because if we wanted to communicate back home, uh, we had a narrow window every morning and a narrow window every evening, because when they were sleeping, we were awake, and when we were sleeping, everyone else was awake. So you had to work out the schedules. Fortunately, they use a lot of uh, internet apps like WhatsApp to communicate, and they were able to communicate with their families very well, even via video, during the whole time. So that is something new, of course. That's something modern. In the old days, we could not do those kind of things, but now those kind of things. In fact, I was very surprised in Nepal. The quality of the internet was very good. And we were able to do a lot of communication. I was able to communicate with Provi very easily. And it was a, it, that was very nice. And that worked out real well. We were staying with our host, a missionary who um, has been in Nepal for five years. He had been a pastor in Mexico for several years. Started to work in the state of Puebla. 
In fact, he's sending churches from the city of Puebla, where we took our team in August. And uh, he comes from a, a town in the southern part of Puebla, uh, the other side of what we call Tehuacan, a little village called Calipan. I did not know this when I got to sit down and talk with him. And the Lord is really amazing. It's really amazing how the Lord works some things out. Um, he began telling me, it's a little village south of Tehuacan. You'll never know it. And I says, what's the name of it? Calipan. He says, oh, I know that village. I've been there 50 years ago or more. He says, what do you do over there? Well, I began to tell him the history. When my father first started his first Bible Institute in 1965, he had six students. Four of them were from the state of Chiapas on the southern border. They were the Celtal Indians. But two were from the city, the state of Puebla. And they were from the town of Calipan. <laughs> and uh, we'd lost contact with those two men uh, for the first 10 years after they finished their studies. We continued to go. And one of them, Gonzalo Negrete, had a uh, pastor to church there in Calipan during that time. And we still had contact with him. But it's been about 30 years. We've lost all contact. Not only that. Not only was this missionary there, but there was another missionary family from Mexico that were staying there with him. They'd been there only, only a year. They're just getting started, so to speak. And the wife of that other missionary was also from Calipan. So I began sitting and talking. I told them the names of the people. They said, oh yeah, we've heard those names. So she called back home and she said, oh yeah, they knew them very well. In fact, the other man, Antonio Abreu, his great-grandson is now the pastor of the church there in Calipan. So uh, here we are in Nepal, finding out that we have common connections from 40 years ago. <laughs> and the ministry my father had 50 years ago is still going on and is still being impacted. And now we're seeing it's going happening in Nepal even. So sometimes God is really great. Now, the missionary there in Nepal... Uh, he, he's a, first of all, let me explain to you. Nepal is a closed country. They prohibit missionaries. You cannot go in there openly as a missionary. Just like India and other countries. The history of Nepal is it was part of that Indian uh, uh, colony, so to speak. It was colonized by England. You remember England, uh, part of its empire was India and that area there. And when in the 1940s, under the revolutionary or the independence movement that started by Indira Gandhi, when they gave, when England pulled out, because they voluntarily pulled out of that area, and they gave India its independence, but the problem was, within India and that whole region, you've got two different groups, Hindus and Muslims. And that was the big problem. What are, how are we going to work this out? Well, they ended up splitting up that whole area to multiple countries. You got the country of India, the country of Pakistan. India is Hindu, Pakistan is Muslim. They purposely separated that. Along the border between Pakistan and India, they're still fighting today because that area is mixture Hindu and Muslims and both sides claim that part of it. Then you've got Bangladesh, which is also Muslim. And that was also separated, and you got Nepal to the north. Now, Nepal is a mainly Hindu nation, so it follows India very similarly. But because of all that, many people don't realize that English is a very common language in that whole area. 
because England colonized that for such a long time. In fact, in India, there are so many different languages in the country of India that the official government language, the, the, the government does everything in English. So a lot of people speak English in, in, in Nepal too. So that helps some. Of course, my guys from Mexico didn't speak any English. So they don't have, and Spanish, you're not going to find any Spanish in Nepal. <laughs> Hardly at all. But I was surprised. There were quite a few Mexicans there. So what this Mexican missionary that moved there five years ago did to get into the country was he could not declare himself. They were not going to give him a visa as a missionary. He went in as a businessman to invest and start a business. And what he did is he started a Mexican restaurant and hotel. And he has that in Kathmandu, the capital. And he has people that can come and work with him. They call them agents. And that's how he gets other missionaries to come into the country also. So he has the, the restaurant that he has to keep operating and the hotel. But everybody staying in the hotel are missionaries, so to speak. <laughs> so the four Mexican men have a place to stay there in that hotel. And the prices are great because the Southern Baptist Convention has seen his ministry and they've decided to subsidize and help pay for the rent and other things like that. I believe for one room for two men, they are paying $60 a month. <laughs> so that's great. Uh huh. And so that is nice. And of course, there's a little kitchenette there where they can fix some of their meals, things like that. If they need to, they can work in the restaurant, but that gives an idea of what they're staying. Now, four went with the idea of returning on the 22nd of October. While we were there, spending some time getting to know everything, two of the men, the two are, two are married and two are single. One of the married men is the pastor. His goal was not to be there for a long time. He just wanted to be there for that one month, then go back home. And he wants to continue ministering in his church, but having a, a missions heart and understanding what missions is. And I'm sure that after he made this trip, he's going to understand about missions so much better. Now, as soon as we landed, they had, they've already had the shock of the travel on the air. They couldn't figure out, well, do I pay for my food or is it included in the trip? You know, when they come by, when the stewardess came by to give them their meals on the, on the flight, <laughs> things like that. And so it was kind of a confusing for them. They even had to figure out how to use the bathroom <laughs> on the plane because <laughs> those things are just totally foreign to them. There's just a lot of things that we take for granted that you have to be able to go to get across to them. Well, we landed and the first thing that hit them was you drive on the left side of the road in there in Nepal, not on the right. <laughs> Steering wheels on the right side of the car. <laughs> that right away was, wow, how do we deal with this? And then this is one thing after another. What was really funny is the four men, since they're Indian, from the Indian tribe there in southern Mexico, they're very dark-skinned. They look exactly like the Nepalese people. And we had multiple instances where the Nepal Nepalese people saw them and thought they were Nepalese and began talking to them in Nepal language. And when they didn't respond to them, the Nepalese people got mad at them and thought that they were disrespecting them because they would not talk to them. <laughs> so that was a little bit of a problem. But on the other hand, that's great. That means that they're going to be able to fit in. Yeah. I, as an American, stand out. They know I'm a foreigner. 
But when these guys are working there, remember, it's a closed country. And if you're in a closed country and you can blend in with the people, that's an ideal thing. Now, the missionaries that are there are kind of a careful because some of them have been kicked out. If they do catch you, the government, if the authorities catch you witnessing or doing anything like that, they will kick you out of the country. They're very careful about their internet and about all their communications, things like that. Um, that India is the same way. And so they're, they're very careful about that. On the other hand, the, uh, my host missionary, Brother uh, Javier Gutierrez, that was his name, uh, he's very bold. He's going to go out and witness. So we arrived on a Saturday morning. Didn't realize that they have church services on Saturday instead of Sunday. So we got there off the plane. We've been in the air for about 30 hours, jet lagged, and we go straight to a church service. And we had to try to stay awake while they're preaching in Nepalese and we don't understand a word they're saying. <laughs> so that's just, they, they got an introduction very quickly. <laughs> um, uh, Nepal is not quite as bad as India, but it still is pretty close. You get on the highways and it is like you would, you think Mexico's bad? No, Mexico's nothing like like this part of the world. I one time went to the city of Calcutta in India, and even I had my mouth open about the driving. It was crazy. Well, Nepal is not quite as bad, but it's pretty close. <laughs> there is no lanes, and no one pays attention. You don't, when you want to go, you just go. If a bus wants to pull out in front of traffic, it just pulls out, and everyone just kind of uh, flows with it. <laughs> there are no rules, hardly. <laughs> it's pretty wild. And uh, that was part of the, that was also part of their initiation. Uh, in fact, you cannot rent a car to self-drive in Nepal. When you rent a car, it always includes a driver. Because <laughs> it's required. You, it's just, that's how bad it is. <laughs> you have to have someone who knows what they're doing. And while we were there, we did rent a, a vehicle for one part of the, the trip. The missionary had a car, we drove with him. And I'll have to say, he has fit in real good because he drives just like him. And if any of you had been with me, you would have had a hard time because there's two lane roads. They're passing, even though there's a car coming toward them. They don't care. They're just going to go. And it's everyone just kind of a gives in and uh, close calls, many. <laughs> and then mountains. It's a lot of mountains. It's the Himalayas. Remember, Mount Everest is in Nepal. And so you've got some huge mountains, snow-covered all year long. We got to see some of them. But we spent some time there the first few days, getting over the jet lag. They were having a conference where other missionaries, Mexican missionaries, had come in from, from Nepal, from uh, Pakistan, and other places, and they were doing some teaching. We kind of sat in on that and watched what they were doing. And then on Thursday, he took us down to the south part of the country, right with the border of India. He had a man who was his disciple, a man that he's training, uh, Drew, was the man's name, Drew, and he's from that area. He's from a tribe called the Maitlis, and they're right along the Indian border. They're Hindu, so we went, took us about 10 hours to drive down that way. I put my Mexican men on a public bus so they'd have that experience, because we didn't have enough room in the car. It's a very small car, only three people fit in the car, and we drove down and uh, met them at the end of the bus line. And then went to the village of brother, where Drew, uh, family's at. His father is a Hindu guru, a leader in the Hindu religion. And uh, opened up his home to us very graciously, uh, very hot. 
Uh, we were uh, ready to sleep well. There was like a, por- a, second, a porch on the second floor open, and you sleep there because it's just pretty hot. And um, cattle everywhere, smells, curry, I go on and on, a lot of things like that. And the uh, next day on Friday, we went through the village, big sensation, we're foreigners, went over to a Muslim mosque. They received us very graciously, very happy to see us. We sat down. They brought us drinks. We sat and talked with them. Met the imam. And after a while, Drew presented the gospel a little bit. They listened very kindly. This is Muslims. It's not as bad as you think. Now, this is just a very small village. Their mosque is not much. And as we began sitting there and talking with them, and, um, you know, I've studied a lot about the Muslim religion, and uh, Brother Javier has also, and we began to realize that they didn't even know much about their own religion. They had a whole bookcase there with the Quran, but it's all in Arabic. And they don't speak Arabic, but they repeat their prayers in Arabic, even though they don't know what they're saying. They do things because they're told to do it, not because they know why. One of the big things about the Muslim religion is that it's based on five pillars. Uh, five pillars of things that you're supposed to do to get to heaven. Uh, good works, it's mainly good works. One of those is a pilgrimage to Mecca. That's one of the five pillars. So uh, we saw up on the wall the five symbols for the five pillars, and we mentioned, oh, there you got the five pillars. And they said, we don't know what that is. We thought, what? Do we more know more about your religion than you do? Finally, we brought the imam over and we asked him, well, how far along are you in the five pillars? Well, I finished all five. We said, well, you've gone to Mecca. Oh, no, we ha- I haven't done that. I said, so you haven't finished the five pillars. <laughs> and we discussed it for a while with them. They invited us to come back. That night, while I was uh, there with, uh, resting and just talking with Drew and his father, his father began to ask questions. And we spent about two hours Witnessing to him, he was very curious about some things from the Bible. We talked about some aspects. I won't get into all the details because two hours is a lot of things were covered. But at the end of it, he says, I believe you're 100% correct. And he did accept what we had to say. He did not make, he did not convert, but he was very open to it. During the day, I had to stay while they went and did some stuff in town. And they also went to another village and did some witnessing there. And there, they weren't received as well. Uh, a man there got very upset. He was a neighbor. He came back to the village and began sp- spreading rumors, spreading that uh, the Drew's father was having Christians in his home and all this kind of stuff. And we thought, oh boy, this might be a problem. But he, the man, he's a guru. He's a leader of the, of the village. He says, don't worry. He says, I can take it. <laughs> and uh, he, was, he was not going to let that deter him from having. He gave me a lot of gifts. They gave me a special sash of honor. They gave me a special uh, 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 pants that they wear, the men wear. Maybe in missions conference I'll wear it for you so you can see what it looks like. And I've got some, I was going to show pictures of it, but I says, I can't, I can't do that. Um, but I was very honored. After we finished there, the next Saturday, that was Saturday, Friday, we did, the Friday we were there, all this witnessing. Next morning we got up, spent some time with them. And then we drove about an hour to another village where there was a church, a Christian church. And I preached there, spent some time with those people until about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Then we split up. Brother Javier went back to Kathmandu. We rented a vehicle, all five of us, me and the four Mexican men, and we went to a nature preserve further on down, about three or four hours down the road. 
Next morning, we did a jungle walk into that nature preserve, uh, saw elephants, uh, rhinoceros, alligators, uh, tiger paw prints. Did you see the tigers where we saw where they'd been? Bears, uh, a little bit of everything during our jungle walk. So it was interesting. Had to go across a river in a canoe. And uh, I'd, I got video of all that, but I can't show it to you because I don't have the projector. But anyway, uh, that was just kind of a break. And then from there, we went up to the northern part of the country, up in the mountains in the Himalayas, and uh, went to a Hindu temple and saw some ceremonies there. And then back to Kathmandu, saw some more things, went to a Buddhist temple, things like that. And then I left Wednesday to come back here. So it was a, a good time. The men began to understand how things are going. I got a, a, a text message from them this morning and said, well, three of the guys finally got sick at their stomach. They finally caught up with them. I left medicine because we were prepared for that. And uh, they're doing all right. They said in the text this morning that they had a very unusual experience on Sunday. They went to a Hindu temple and watched the cremation of a body. Because remember, that's what they do among the Hindus. They cremate all the bodies. They do it in a very big ceremony. And so they had that privilege of seeing that. I'm sure that was a very impactful thing. We saw a lot about those religions. Now, the biggest religion in Nepal is Hinduism. The second one is Buddhism. Buddha was born in Nepal. So that's where it really started. And then the third one is the Muslim religion. It's only about 10%. So you see a mixture of everything. And one of the reasons that the government does not want missionaries there is they don't want conflict. They're afraid that if missionaries start doing some things, they'll be scum. I would only say about 1% to 2% of the country is Christian or declare themselves Christian in that manner. And even then, it's a major problem because it's hard for them to understand. One of the things that you must understand in this, in this part of the world is the way they think is so different than the way we think. And that's because of these religions. Hinduism, Buddhism are religions that really teach the person not to live in the real world but to live in a spiritual. Your goal is to, to shake off what this world is and have your mind and live in a spiritual state, is what they call it. It's kind of a complicated, hard for us to understand. It's really based on something that has existed for thousands of years. In the early part of the church, there was a cult that was called a Christian cult called Gnosticism that believed the same thing, believed in two worlds. They believe that all the physical world was evil and the spiritual world was good. Those kind of things have been around for a long time, probably since the time of the Tower of Babel. And it's been a major difficulty. One of the things I noticed with Hinduism is, well, first of all, there's a lot of gods. They cannot count them all. They say there are millions. Why? Well, every Hindu can create his own god. As a Hindu, if you want to create your own god, go for it. Our host, the Mexican missionary there, said his neighbor had chosen a rock outside in front of his house on the pavement as his God. And every morning he would go out there and sacrifice and put stuff on that rock in worship of the God. A few years later they came by and paved the street and his rock was gone. <laughs> but that's their thinking. So if everybody can create a God... There is no absolutes. That's the biggest problem. In other words, there's no reality. Now, you might think, that is so strange. But wait a minute. 
here in our country, we're getting that way too. Do you realize since the 60s with the rock music, because the Beatles were very much involved in Hinduism, it's being brought across into the Western thought. And we look at this woke, this woke group and these people that are today promoting all this stuff and they're saying, well, uh, you can be anything you want to as far as your gender. Or men can become pregnant. And we're sitting here saying, this is crazy. No, wait a minute. To the Hindu thought, that is the way things are. So really, the basis for all these things being taught comes from these, middle, from these Eastern religions. Buddhism and Hinduism, that's the way they... In other words, reality does not exist. And so when we say, well, wait a minute, we know that that's not real. It doesn't matter to them. They're not living in reality. They're living in a demonic spiritual world. Now, they'll never admit it. They don't come out and say it. But that's really the basis for all this. And that's why we're in a battle for all these kind of things. And don't think that this is just something from those, all those countries that far away. It's happening around us all the time. It's been brought over for the last 60 or 70 years. And it's becoming more and more prevalent. And when you're dealing with this, you say, well, how can I even argue with someone who doesn't even accept reality? Well, it's hard. And that was one of the things that we were discussing and studying. Uh, maybe we'll cover some of that here during our emissions conference. I won't really have time here tonight to get into all that kind of thing. But God is really trying to get some things done. Uh, I'm excited about these men. Now, of the four that went, the pastor, he's married. Another young man that, from his church is also married. They left their family behind for a month. The other two are single. And way back... A year ago when I began talking with them, they said, look, when we go, we don't want to just go for a short term. We want to go long term. I said, well, just wait. Let's go ahead and buy the tickets for one month and we'll see. They've got return tickets on the 22nd. While I was there, the two single men said, no, we want to stay indefinitely. We want to start taking up classes in the Nepalese language. The two that are married are coming back on the 22nd of October, but the others have decided to stay as long as the Lord has them. The churches in Chiapas will continue to support them. We already sat down and figured out how to transfer funds, how they can be supported, things like that. So those two men are basically in Nepal as missionaries right now. In other words, they're not going through deputation. They're not going through the things we think of. They're getting in there and, and getting at it right now. So uh, we're working on their visas. Uh, they have to get an extension for what they only got 30 days permit to stay there in the country. They're going to ask for an extension. In December, they've got to go out to India. Then when they come back, they're going to start asking for an, a student visa. Because if they'll be taking language classes, they can get a student visa. And they're working on that. So pray with them that they can get their paperwork in order. But they're planning on staying as long as the Lord allows them to. We'll see how long that is. After about three or four months, culture shock will set in. They're going to have a hard time. But that's what they want to do. And if God has called them to it, I'm really praising the Lord. Uh, I look at this from my point of view and my experience as I am in on a pioneering new stage of missions that God is bringing about. God is doing, doing what he did here in America, now in other countries. For the last 100 years, the United States has been on the forefront of sending missionaries around the world. Sadly, we're not doing as much as we used to. We're on the decline. I hate to see it. I wish it were not so. 
I wish we could turn that around. But if that's happening, God's still going to do something. And the question is, who's he going to do it with? It's very possible that he's going to start using these countries in Latin America to send missionaries around the world. And if I am in on that first steps, I'm excited. I'm not going to be the one who's doing it. I'm just helping them get started. I'm giving them the, the first uh, few steps. And I'm excited to see. Now, if they want to go on a second trip, I don't have to go with them. They know what it's like. In fact, they're coming back on their own. That was the plan. They've gone over there and figured out what it was like to fly. Now they've got to start. By after this, uh, I don't have to go along and hold their hand anymore. I figure they're going to be understanding what's going on. Any questions before I finish up? Yes, sir, Brother Jeff. Like I said, the missionary, Brother Javier Gutierrez, was in Mexico visiting churches on deputation. And he happened to go to their church in Chiapas. And that's how they got to know him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Brother Bob, did you have a question? I don't know. Anyone else? Yes. Rachel. Excuse me? Uh, yes, yes, they can. There's not that many. But yes, you can. There is somewhat, the people there can do their own thing, but they don't like foreigners to come and do it. Okay? Rachel, you had a question. Do the women? Uh... Uh, when I was especially on the, on the Indian border, it was really, the, the women are, are like property. Um, when someone wants to get married, it's usually an arranged marriage. Sometimes it happens right as soon as they're born. But the parents of the bride pay a lot to the groom to marry their daughter. They'll give them a car or cattle or something like that. It's a big amount. Uh, When I was there in that village in the southern part of Nepal, I would greet the women, but they wouldn't even hardly they wouldn't even acknowledge me. They stayed in the background. They never even talked to me. It was really not like what I was used to. The women are pretty much down. Now in the city, it's a little bit different. But in the villages, that's the way it is. Now, if you realize in Nepal, they're probably about. 70 or 80 different ethnic groups with languages and tribes and stuff like that. Like, first you got the Sherpas up in the north and the south, where the Maitleys was one of the tribes I was with who had their own language, things like that. So each one has a little bit different culture, too. Up in the north and in the mountains is where the Buddhists are more common. But in the Hindu religion, a woman is treated like property. It's pretty rough. Mm-hmm. Any other questions? Yes, ma'am. Was this here? Uh, it is considered uh, that if a, if a family converts to Christianity, that the woman is going to change her position. It's, it's almost consi- they look at that as okay. I'm changing my caste, so to speak. Remember, Hinduism is a very caste-oriented society. We have five different castes, and once you're born in one, you cannot get out. In other words, there's not the mobility. In, in their social structure. In other words, if you're in one area of the social structure, you cannot change to another. That's not allowed. But one of the things they do think about is when they become Christians, they're kind of a broke, they, they can break out of that and they have that more of a freedom 
to, as, as, as a woman to do things. They look at it that way. And sometimes it's become a problem because they go overboard. They go too far in the other direction too. Yes, Brother Allen. What is the, is there a major industry that provides work? Uh, there is a lot of rice. The agriculture is rice. I saw rice patties everywhere. <laughs> of course, they eat a lot of rice, things like that. A lot of agriculture in the lower and the southern part of the country. In the northern part, especially around Mount Everest, tourism is a big thing. Um, there were a lot, of course, because of the pandemic, they shut down completely and not, no tourism was coming in at all. And I talked with several different businesses that depend on tourism, and they said they're not expecting to be back to normal until 2024. Things were really slow while I was there, so they were very glad to see me. <laughs> very glad to have a little bit of customers because it was really bad. Uh, as I was going into the country and the flight that I was in, yes, we saw some tourists. So apparently they're starting to come back. But that was a major thing that they were having, and it was a big blow. However, uh, apparently during the pandemic, the government took the opportunity when everyone was closed in, they couldn't get out and stuff, to do a lot of infrastructure work. They finished a ring road around the, the capital, other things like that. And the missionary was telling me that now after the camp pandemic, the infrastructure is a lot better than what it used to be. Okay, yes sir. Uh, there's a lot of missionaries of other groups that are not Baptists, they're doing humanitarian work. In fact, Nepal has been already for maybe a hundred years where many of the countries, especially the United Nations, does a lot of humanitarian work like building wells, uh, helping and in, in, in providing electricity, those kind of things. And um, you'll see a lot of schools, things like that, that missionaries put in. Then also orphanages. Now, there's a lot of humanitarian work. But the problem is they do that and they spend so much time at that, they don't spend any time witnessing or, or winning to Christ. But of course, it's very difficult. When you're there with these people, this type of thinking, it takes a long time to get the gospel truly across. And even with the men that are there that are preachers, I noticed that they have a long ways to go in their training. And in fact, uh, the, the Mexican missionary that I was with, he said, I would love for you to come back and do some training of the men if you get another chance. So I might be going back. I don't know. Uh, pray about that. Brother Wayne? Traveling takes a lot out of you. Yeah, I've been up since 3 o'clock this morning because of jet lag. Couldn't sleep. Are y'all ready to preach? I got one verse. I was thinking about... Uh, I opened this book of 1 Peter this morning for a purpose... Down in First Peter chapter 1. He says in verse 6. Wherein. 
you greatly rejoice after he's talked about the uh, God's plan and God's people and God's place. Then he says, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith being more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen you love, whom though you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now, I'm not going to preach on those verses, but I, my subject, and I'll come back to it later, is the trial of our faith. I was thinking about it this afternoon, and uh, just praying about it, I was reminded. I was preaching a meeting, I was scheduled in a meeting in, uh, down in East Texas. We had a college at our church, the, the fellow at the college said, I need you to come to Louisiana for a meeting. And it was certain, certain day, so I told him I was already scheduled. He said, yeah, but I need you here. And I had no idea what he was talking about, but he was so insistent that we canceled part of that meeting, and I moved to, we went home, Susie and I went home to Alvin. It was about a five-hour ride over to the part of Louisiana he was in. We got up about four o'clock in the morning to get there for morning service. And he was in the middle of a service and I preached that morning in the service and it was a graduation of a college over there in Louisiana. And so I preached in the morning message and. At noon, he said, well, we're going to break this afternoon and we'll see you tonight. And uh, so me and my son were together. He went with me. We got up at four in the morning, drove five hours, and suddenly we were broke, but we had no place to go. And he made no provision for us a place. But there was a young preacher there, and he heard me and Kevin talking about what we're going to do. And he came over to me, and he said, Brother, do you remember his name, Susie? Uh, he came over, he said, Brother Wayne, he said, I've got a prophet room over at my church, about 15 miles out of town. He said, you're welcome to come. He said, you can go in there and take a nap, do whatever you want to do. And that sounded pretty good at that time. 
we'd been up since four in the morning and we were going to have to drive home, I think, that night. And so, uh, anyway, we went with him. When we got there, I didn't really know him well, but we had, he knew who I was and we, had, we got acquainted. He, and I was already looking, he showed us the prophet room and I was ready to pull my shoes off and get up on that bed and take a nap. And he said, but before y'all go, I know, he said, I know you want to take a nap, but before you go take a nap, why don't we go pray? Would you like to pray? Well, how are you going to refuse that? He's the host. We walked into the, we walked into the room. I noticed this phrase right here. In the middle of the trial of our faith, verse 8 says, Whom having not seen you love, and whom though yet now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Is that the way y'all face your trials? I mean, do you... In the middle of your trial, do you just say, I'm full of joy and full of glory? I'm just full of glory. Do y'all face trials that way? I doubt it. See, it's the trial of our faith. And we're not at the end of faith yet. And he's going to talk about coming to the end of our faith. But we're, hey, we're still living by faith. And the trials are to strengthen our faith. Every one of us has got trials. I said this morning, you're either coming out of a storm, you're in a storm, or you're going into a storm. All of us are there. Susie and I had another storm rise up in our life a week, sometime this past week. Not our storm, but it affects us. Well, I can't remember that boy's name. He, he passed away several years ago. He was a young preacher. He had, he had been on his way to a meeting. He told me the story, told us the story about that. We got into, we came into the auditorium, and he said, "Y'all just kneel down wherever you want to." He said, "I can't kneel down." He said, "I was on my way to a preacher's meeting and went into a, one of those stop and robs, one of those little uh, drive-in grocery stores, and uh, he said I was." I was going in to get a cup of coffee. I was traveling, and I was going to get a cup of coffee and go on down the road. He said, when I walked in the door, the door was messed up. And the wind caught the door and hit me in my back, threw me all the way across the store. And he said, I messed up my back. And he said, I can't, I can't kneel down. 
said, I'm just going to have to pray standing up. But he said, look up there. And across the back of his auditorium, he had this verse. What it said up there in gold letters all the way across the back of that auditorium, he was still preaching out of a wheelchair. He had a stool that he preached off of. He said, I put it up there so I can see it when I'm preaching. And it said, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. You know, after he drew our attention to that verse, we looked at the verse. And I got down and prayed a little bit. Kevin was down on his knees in the altar with me. We're down here on the front in the altar. I don't know if he'd prayed yet or not, but that young preacher began, he was walking. And he began to pray, and he prayed all over the front end of the building. And he prayed some more. And the more he prayed, the more I looked at the verse. He was praying by faith. He was a cripple. He didn't know if he'd ever be able to walk and talk again. But he was, he was putting his trust. I mean, you can get a little joy. We had a lot of joy. We were shouting before we got through praying that day. We, we, had, we went to the Big Shots Church for the college graduation. Turned out all, all, all of that uproar and all he wanted to do was give me an honorary doctorate. You know, they give honorary, doc, honorary doctorates to honorary people. I've got it somewhere over there. I can't, I can't even tell you where it's at. It doesn't mean a thing to me. It's just a piece of paper. And I had been to the We'd been to the service and all the preachers were there and all the, all the high muckety-mucks were there. But we went over there to that little country church and there was only three of us in the auditorium. And that boy was in a trial of faith. He was a cripple. He couldn't make a living for his family. His church was just a small church. He had been a bivocational preacher. Now he was dependent on his wife to work, to just get by so he could preach. He'd made a mistake. The insurance company for the store had offered a cash settlement, and he took it, not realizing that he was probably never going to get over the injury that he had. And now he was in a trap. But every time, he said, every time I get discouraged, Brother Wayne, I look up there and he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I'll come forth as gold. Now, you, that may mean nothing to you, but I'm still getting those goosebumps up and down my back as I think about what God did with that young preacher and what we, what we experienced in the middle of that prayer meeting that day as we met with God down there in the 
down there in the cane fields of South Louisiana, a poor, poor country. And there's a little church on the side of the road, and that preacher can't even make a living for his family now, is claiming God's promise in the middle of the trial of his faith. I don't know what you're going through, but I, as I've studied for this, this turned out to be a series, this trial of faith, as I've studied that this week, my vision goes back to that day and I think about that, hey, he said in the middle of the trial of your faith, when you have not seen him, there can be joy and hope and, and trust. And you can, you can experience the, the power of God in your life, in the, not out of the trial of faith, but in the trial of faith because he knows the way that we take. And when he has tried us, we come forth as gold. And so, that's my message. Somebody here in trial of faith. Somebody here, you've, you've trusted Christ, and you've, you've trusted your, your life, and you've lived your life. Now it looks like the bottoms fell out. Now it looks like nobody cares. He knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I will, I will, get it? I will come forth as gold. Let's stand. I want to pray and then we're going to have an invitation. Father, I do thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. I thank you for the precious promises of the book. Thank you for watching over Bruce, taking him all the way uh, around, half around the world twice, and and allowing him to minister in places we'll probably never see. Lord, I thank you for what we've heard tonight, how that through him this church has been expressed all over the eastern world. And God, I pray that you'd just continue to use him and bless him and strengthen him for the work you've called him. But, Lord, you called every one of us. When you saved us, you called us. And, God, we answer the call when we, when we receive Christ as our Savior. And our only instruction is to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God, some of us are in struggles of trial. Some of us don't know how to turn or what to do. Lord, I pray as, 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 as Peter said, that these trials of faith would be more precious than gold that perishes. 
and that we ourselves would be turned toward you. And our eyes would turn on Jesus. And the glory of Jesus would bring hope and joy and peace. And we'd know you. As, and we'd claim your promises for our own situation. Lord, please take charge. Please have your way. Have your way with that one who asked for prayer. And we were we prayed with today. I pray, God, that you'd bless her. And I pray, I pray Lord, that you'd be with others. There's people that we don't even know their need. But God, you do. God, I pray you'd help us to just claim the book. Claim the Word of God. Trust Jesus. Trust the Savior. He is able to save our soul. He's able to supply every need that we ever will have. And He's promised to do it. Please help us to yield ourselves over to you and let you be and do in us as you see fit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing an invitation. If you want to come and pray, I think it'd be a good time to do it. Think about that verse. He knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. Not, not maybe. Doesn't yet appear what will be. When we get through with us, we're going to be fit for him. And we'll be, we'll be pure gold to him.
That verse is Job 23.10. I had to look it up. I couldn't remember the Job on the ash heap, scraping sores, being ridiculed by his friends and his wife. But he said, when he's tried me, I'll come forth. Let's go. Remember to pray. Remember to pray. We go over the prayer list and it's, we just continue to, you know, it continues to grow. And some of these folks we've been praying for for years. The problems are still there. Peter said that problem is more precious than gold if it builds our faith. If it drives us from Christ, we're a fool. And we're a wreck. We've shipwrecked faith. But if we'll let that problem draw us to Jesus and humble our hearts and come into his presence, I'm going to preach on Job one of these days, so I'll, we'll finish it over there in that Psalm, in, in Job 42, where he said he had ten times more than he did before God started with him. Hey, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And when he has tried me, I will come forth as go. Claim it. Claim it. Hey, you're his child. Claim it. I thank God for the refuge we have. Thank God for that place of strength that we can get a hold of God and know that He'll hear us. That little Cajun preacher died four or five years later, but he just kept on preaching, kept on serving until God called him home. He, he taught me a valuable lesson that day. Hey, I'd rather have that promise in my heart than ever, all the piled up doctor certificates you could, you could print out. Thank the Lord for meeting with Jesus in a time of need. It's wonderful, isn't it? Well, brother, let's sing another verse.
dismiss us. Some of you ladies like to come down here and pray with these ladies. John's going to dismiss us. Just quietly leave if you need to leave. But remember these needs. We've had some real needs here. Had a real need even today. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you again tonight, Lord, and just realizing the great need that people have in their lives. Lord, I I pray, Lord, that you'll um, get anything out of our lives that would hinder our prayers, Lord, that would hinder us from serving you, uh, worshiping you. Lord, uh, we we pray for healing for uh, Miss Tammy. We pray for your perfect will, really, whatever that may be, that that will be what's done, Lord, and that um, through all things, Lord, we give you praise and we worship you and trust you. Lord, help us to look to you in all things and to trust you, uh, to rest in you, Lord. Lord, you know the needs of uh, many people in our church that are going through things, even things that we may not know about, Lord, but you know, and we pray for we pray for that. We pray for um, your perfect will. And Lord, we ask you these things in Jesus' precious name.